Dear friend, I'm Dr. David Jeremiah, and I'd like to take a moment to speak with you as the world faces the coronavirus pandemic. There is no question we are living in a time of unprecedented uncertainty. It is unlike anything I have experienced in my whole life. And the temptation in times like these is to allow fear and worry to creep into our thoughts and to rob us of our joy. But in these uncertain times, we need to remember that God is still in control. And my prayer for you is that you are healthy, you're in a safe place and surrounded by those you love. Please keep the ministry of Turning Point in your prayers as well. We will continue to bring the healing power of God's Word to you each day on radio, television, and online. And I really hope this will be a source of encouragement to you during the current coronavirus. So be safe, be in the Word, and be in prayer. In combat, a soldier's armor is only as strong as his bravery. In spiritual warfare, your armor is only as strong as your faith. Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah offers biblical wisdom for adding muscle to your faith, ensuring that it's always robust enough to withstand the enemy's attacks and keep you well protected. To introduce the conclusion of his powerful message, The Shield of Faith, here's David. And thank you so much for joining us. I am very happy to have you uh, as a, a part of our discussion on spiritual warfare. Thank you for tuning in. Please stay with us as we talk about the shield of faith on today's program. During the month of June, we're making available a very special resource that goes right along with the series. It's a small book, a gift book. It's about 200 pages, and it has a beautiful cover. It's a hardback cover, and uh, you will love this book. It's the, the gift book size. It's the question and answer books that we've done in the past. This is one of the best, and it goes right along with the series. Here you will find 185 pages that feature 86 questions with answers. There's a scripture guide for spiritual warfare. There's a prayer scripture guide, and then included in the book is the warrior's prayer. And you can get this little book, which will capture this series. You can get this for a gift of any amount to Turning Point. When you ask for this resource, we'll send it to you right away. Let me also remind you that there's a study guide and a set of CDs that contain all the information from this series. You can get uh, this from davidjeremiah.org. Go there today and make sure you order the resources for this series. You can teach this to others. You can be the one who just sort of guides people through this. If you have the study guide, that's what it is. You can give the study guide to all of your participants, and they can study along with you. You might want to listen to the CDs, and then you can have a robust discussion about these very important things we're learning as we determine how to be victorious in the world in which we live. So the Shield of Faith is our discussion now. Let's open our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6, and let's study this together. Here are some of the key people of the Old Testament who experienced great faith. They were all men and women of like passion as we are, and they are distinguished because they used the shield of faith to ward off the darts of the evil one. Let's talk about some of these people for a moment. In Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 7, we read about Noah. By faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, 
and prepared an ark for the saving of the households. Now, why did he do that? Why did Noah do what he did? Because God told him to do it. And he did it because in the obedience of faith, he was expressing his confidence in God. But I cannot imagine the abuse that that man took. Noah, what are you doing? You're building a what? A boat? And it's going to rain? Why are you doing it? God told me so. What is the dart? The doubt cast into the mind of Noah about the reality of God's promise. You can be sure that it happened. In fact, that's the whole issue through the rest of the chapter. Think about verse 8 where we read about Abraham. The Bible says, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. Abram, where are you going? I don't know. Well, if you don't know where you're going, why are you going? God told me to. God told you to go somewhere and he didn't tell you where, right? Dart, <laughs> casting doubt in the mind of the person of faith. Or try verse 11. By faith, Sarah received strength to conceive seed, and she bore a child when she was past the age because she judged him faithful who had promised. Sarah, what are you doing? I'm getting ready to fix up the nursery. The what? The nursery. Sarah, honey, you're 90 years old. 90-year-old women don't have babies. Dart. But God promised Sarah that she was going to have a baby. So she took the shield of faith and she repelled the dart and she fixed up the nursery. Keep reading. Look at verse 17. By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son. Where are you going, Abraham? <laughs> up the mountain. What are you going up there for? To kill Isaac. You're going to do what? You're going to kill Isaac? Wait a minute, Abraham. God told you that in Isaac all of your promises are going to be realized, and now you're going to go up the mountain and kill him? Yeah. The Bible says Abraham went up that mountain because he believed God. Keep reading. Verse 24. By faith Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Moses, you have now come of age and you have to make a choice. You can stay here in the palace and be my son and rule and reign in this lavish kingdom and never have a need go unmet in your life. And Moses said, no, I am a Jew. I am a Hebrew. I would rather be with my people. God has a plan for me. I'm going to identify myself with my people. And I love the one in verse 30. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they were encircled for seven days. What are you guys doing? Walking around the city. You doing what? Well, we're just walking around the city. Well, why are you doing that? Oh, we're going to defeat Jericho. Where are your weapons? We don't need any. What do you mean you don't need any? We're just going to walk around. You're just going to walk around the city how many times? Well, once every day for the first six days and then seven times on the last day. Thirteen times. So then what's going to happen? 
well, the walls are all going to fall down on top of the people in the city, and we're going to win the war. Sure they are, Dart. Can you imagine how much faith it took for these people to keep doing what God told them to do when never had anything like that ever happened before? Even Jesus wielded the shield of faith as no other man has ever done. We'll get to this in a full message later on in this series, but in the fourth chapter of Matthew, we read that Satan took Jesus to the wilderness and tempted him, and he tempted him with these words, Matthew 4, 3. He said, Jesus, if you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. And Jesus said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Jesus used the shield of faith. What did he do? He quoted from the Scripture believe it or not, from the book of Deuteronomy. All three of his quotations are from the book of Deuteronomy. And he uses the shield of faith from Deuteronomy to wield off the attacks of Satan against him. Former seminary professor Howard Hendricks, my wonderful friend, used this point to teach us something. And he asked this question. He said, if your spiritual survival depended on how well you knew the book of Deuteronomy, how long would you last? <laughs> you see, the shield of faith is something we build along the way with our knowledge of the Word of God. So we have the priority of it and the purpose of it and the potential of it and the protection of it. Now notice the possession of the shield of faith. I need to tell you one last thing from this passage about the possession of the shield of faith. God is not going to drop it out of heaven into your life. It doesn't say God will give you the shield of faith. It says, above all, take the shield of faith. You don't get the shield for good behavior after you've been a Christian for five years. No, what does it say in the verse, taking up the shield of faith? What does that mean? Who does the taking up? The soldier. How do you get the shield of faith? You appropriate it. You take it. You possess it. What does that mean? That means you have to get the truth. Faith has to be appropriated. Then it can be used. Faith is not faith unless it's at work. True faith is always active. And the way you appropriate the faith is to arm yourself with the truth about God and who he is and to arm yourself with the word of God so that no matter what Satan sends your way, you have an appropriate answer, an appropriate truth, an appropriate verse which you can use to repel him. Let me jump ahead just a little bit to the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. That's the only offensive weapon we have in the whole arsenal that we're given in Ephesians chapter 6, just the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. I used to think the sword of the Spirit was the Bible, but that's not it. The sword of the Spirit is the rhema of God. That's the word in the language of the New Testament. And the rhema of God is not the logos, which is the word for the whole Bible. The rhema of God is the short sword that comes from the arsenal to use against the enemy. And the rhema of God is a specific truth for a specific issue. So the Bible says, take the rhema of God, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and use that against your enemy. And I remember when that first hit me, when I was studying this, this is not really the sword, this is the armory. And in this armory are many swords. And the Bible tells us that we're to look at what Satan is trying to do to us, how he's trying to attack us, where we know we seem to be vulnerable. And we're to take the shield of faith and hold it up 
in that particular place of our vulnerability, and we're to take the sword of the Spirit, which is the rhema of God. And that means find the scriptures that deal with the issue that Satan is trying to destroy you with. It's a powerful tool if you will put it into operation. You know, the Word of God is a gift. It's the exceeding great and precious promises of God. But it's taking out of that Word the specific truths that deal with the specific problems that we face. And every one of us know what our problems are, don't we? We know where Satan gets us. I mean, right now, in your mind, you're cycling through, oh yeah, man, I need some verses for this. (laughs) Well, why don't you get them? You say, how do you do that? Did you ever use a concordance? Let me tell you, the concordance is not the last book in the Bible. It's... (laughs) (laughs) Some of you, I mean, I'm trying to be a little facetious here. You know, some of you, you believe the Bible from generation to revolution. I know that. You, you know, right. But the concordance is not the last book in the Bible, but it's a very important tool. How many of you have a concordance in your Bible? Well, did you know the concordance that's in the back of your Bible is abridged? By that I mean it's not anywhere at all a full concordance. These books have every word that's in the Bible, and you can look them up. There's a couple. One of them is Strong's Concordance, and one of them is Cruden's Concordance. The Strong is for the Strong, and the Cruden's for the Crude. So whichever one you want, you can find. And in this thick concordance, you find all the words that are in the Bible. So let's say my problem is I'm afraid. I can't sleep sometimes. I think about things and wonder if they're going to happen. I deal with fear. Here's what I would do. I would go to the concordance. I would look up the words fear and afraid, get a yellow pad, write all the references down, and then go through the Bible and look at all those verses, and you're going to find the ones you need that will just grab hold of your heart when you read them. In fact, the whole issue of fear will be one of the simplest things you ever did. The Bible is filled with truths that we're not to be afraid. In fact, someone has said there are 365 fear knots in the Bible, one for every day of the year. I don't know if that's true or not, but I know there's a lot of fear knots in the Bible. What time I am afraid, I will trust in the Lord. Over and over again, you will find in the Scripture these truths. Now, Ray Stedman helps us understand that this is not a passive thing that we do. Faith is not simply a passive idea. It is acting upon belief. Faith is decision and action and resolution. Faith is saying, yes, I believe Christ is the truth. He is my righteousness. He is my peace. Therefore, this and this and this and this must follow. When you say, therefore, you move from belief into faith, faith is particularizing. It is taking the general truth and applying it to specific situations and saying, if this is true, then this must follow, and that is the shield of faith. If God tells me I don't have to be afraid, if God tells me that he will be with me in every situation, I will hold that shield up against the enemy when he comes at me with all of his fiery arrows. John Patton was a 19th century missionary to the New Hebrides Islands of South Pacific. In How to Meet the Enemy, we learn how he came to understand the biblical idea of faith to the natives. What does it mean to have faith? Well, he was translating the Bible for South Sea Islanders, and he could not come up with a word that was in their vocabulary for the concept of believing and trusting or having faith. 
He wanted to find the word, but he just couldn't find it. He didn't know the language well enough. And he wanted to teach faith because it's the basic lesson, but he had no way to convey it. One day, while he was working in his hut, a native came running into Patton's study and flopped into a chair, exhausted, and he said, It feels so good to rest my whole weight in this chair. And instantly, John Patton knew he had his definition. Faith is resting your whole weight on God. It is resting your whole existence on God's truth. That meaning helped bring a whole civilization to Christ. Just the simple thought that faith is resting upon God, resting your whole weight upon Him. Martin Lloyd-Jones wrote an entire book on Ephesians 6, 10 to 20. I have it in my library called The Christian Soldier. In the section about the shield of faith, he describes how it is practical. He said, faith means the ability to apply quickly what we believe so that we can repel everything the devil does or attempts to do to us. Faith is not merely an intellectual belief or a theory. Faith is always practical. Faith always applies the truth. There is always an element of activity in faith. So I define the shield of faith as meaning the quick application of what we believe as an answer to everything that Satan throws at us. Do we know what we believe? If we know what we believe and we're building this shield so that it will be impervious to anything Satan can do to us. The problem that we have in the contemporary church today is that our faith tends to be somewhat shallow. And when you have shallow faith, you become an easy target for the enemy. He can get through the shallowness of our faith without much effort. And so if we're not careful, we are victimized. We need to take what God has given us in his precious promises and mine out of it the truths that will help us live the practical Christian life with victory. Now let me give you one more point in this outline. Number six, the principles of the shield of faith. Focus on the source of your faith. Your faith is not in faith itself. Your faith is in Jesus Christ. The writer of the book of Hebrews tells us that we are to look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Keep your eyes on Christ. I know a lot of Christians who think that faith is something that you, well, you ask them what they have faith in. It's in faith. I have faith in faith. No, no, your faith is not in faith. Your faith is in Jesus Christ. It is the object of your faith which is the most critical. It isn't just your faith. I've told this story before, but this illustrates it better than anything I can tell you. If you were to ask me to go ice fishing, which isn't going to happen in California, but if we were to go back east or to Canada or someplace where it's very cold and we were to go ice fishing and we would walk out on the ice, I want to ask you a little question. Here's a little riddle for you. Would you rather have a whole lot of faith in a quarter of inch of ice or a little tiny bit of faith in four feet of ice? Hmm. You know, I've given that question to people and had them write their answers, and it usually ends up about 50-50, believe it or not. I always take the people who have faith in a quarter of inch of ice, put them on a list, and never go fishing with them. <laughs> Isn't that an interesting thing? We even pause when we say that, don't we? We think about that for a moment. It seems like you should have a whole lot of faith. No, no. Faith is irrelevant apart from the object of your faith. You see that? So our faith is not in faith itself. It's not in the Bible, as important as that is. Our faith is in the Lord God himself. He is the object of our faith. 
Not only should you focus on the source of your faith, but you need to fortify the strength of your faith. You say, how do I do that? You do it the same way you strengthen your physical body. The way you get a strong body is to do two things primarily, eat right and exercise. If you avoid either one of those, you will not have a strong body for very long. Dallas Willard, who's written a lot about spiritual discipline, says, we are saved by grace, of course, and by it alone, and not because we deserve it. That is the basis of God's acceptance of us. But grace does not mean that sufficient strength and insight will be automatically infused into our being in the moment of our need. Abundant evidence for this claim is available precisely in the experience of any Christian. We only have to look at the facts. A baseball player who expects to excel in the game without adequate exercise of his body is no more ridiculous than a Christian who hopes to be able to act in the manner of Christ when put to the test without the appropriate exercise in godly living." End of quote. Perhaps this illustration by Donald Whitney will provide the encouraging end to the message. In his book, he writes this. He says, imagine six-year-old Kevin whose parents have enrolled him in music lessons. After school, every afternoon, he sits in the living room and he reluctantly strums home on the range while watching his buddies play baseball in the park across the street. And that's discipline without direction and it's drudgery. Now suppose Kevin is visited by an angel one afternoon during guitar practice. And in a vision, he's taken to Carnegie Hall. He's shown guitar virtuoso giving a concert. Usually bored by classical music, Kevin is astonished by what he sees and he hears. The musician's fingers dance excitedly on the strings with fluidity and grace. And Kevin thinks of how stupid and clunky his hands feel when they halt and stumble over the chords he's trying to learn. But Kevin is enchanted. His head tilts slightly to one side as he listens. He drinks in everything. He never imagined that anyone could play the guitar like this. What do you think, Kevin? Asks the angel. The answer is a soft, slow six-year-old's wow. The vision vanishes and the angel is again standing in front of Kevin in his living room. Kevin says the angel, the wonderful musician you saw is you in a few years. Then pointing at the guitar, he declares, but you must practice. You must practice. In the same way, God provides a vision of what we will be like one day. He says we will be conformed to the image of his son. But in order to get there, we must not become lazy. Instead, we must consistently exercise and practice an active faith. Yes, that is what God has prepared for those who love him. But he tells us in his word that he wants us down here to become in practice what we already are in perfection before him. I'll never forget that line, but you must practice. And that's what I want us to remember as we close our Bibles and our notebooks, that God has given us everything we need. We've got all the scores, all the curriculum, all the notes. Now he wants us to practice. How do you practice? You take what you know and you put it into operation. You read what God tells you to do, and then, my goodness, you do it. 
And then you discover that the joy you have in obedience to the word of God leads you to something else. And before you know it, you're putting together a life of obedience to the word of God. And that's what builds us strong and makes it possible for us to stand against the wiles of the enemy with the shield of faith in our hands. Amen. You know, when temptation comes and the enemy fires at you, a lot of things happen. First of all, you remember that it's happened before, and maybe God has given you victory over it, and that's something you hold on to. Lord, you helped me with this before. You can help me with it now. I trust you. I believe you will help me. And then uh, maybe you've read about this. Maybe somebody else you know has been through this, and you read their story, and you realize, if God helped them, he can help me. And then you have scriptures that you've learned that you quote against the enemy. So much available to us. We do not have to be victimized by the strategies of Satan. Well, um, tomorrow here on Turning Point, we'll talk about the helmet of salvation. Protecting your mind may be the most important thing you do. And obviously, the helmet is for that reason. We'll talk about how that fits into the strategy when we gather next time for Turning Point. Hey, I want to tell you about the study guide that goes with this series. It's um, It's been redesigned, and it's really very helpful. Uh, when you have a series like this that's kind of topical, you can go from chapter to chapter. Uh, they're sort of standalones in many respects. But at the end of each chapter in the study guide, there is a place for personal questions, additional scriptures, how you apply this to your own life. Things that are meant to help you, not only personally, but then there's a section for group questions. And so I want to encourage you to use the study guide and multiply your effectiveness by teaching this to others. There's never been a time when we needed more warriors at the front of the line. Let's create some. Teach this material to others. Use the study guide, the CD, the answer book. Use it all and uh, convey this truth. We'll see you right here tomorrow. Today's message came to you from Shadow Mountain Community Church, where Dr. David Jeremiah serves as senior pastor. Will you tell us one way that you're being blessed by Turning Point? Write to Turning Point for God of Canada, P.O. Box 18098, Delta, B.C., V4L2M4. Visit our website at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio or call 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of David's book, Answers to Questions About Spiritual Warfare. It's a great way to stay on guard and it's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also download the free Turning Point mobile app for your smartphone or tablet or search in your app store for the keywords Turning Point Ministries to access our programs and resources. Visit davidjeremiah.ca slash radio for details. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue the series Spiritual Warfare here on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. Legacy. When I think about my life and the legacy I will leave behind one day, I remember the legacy of faith I saw in the lives of my parents, and it is now reflected in the lives of my children and grandchildren. Then I reflect upon the calling God placed on my heart to preach and teach, and I think of the people who have been touched around the world through the ministry of Turning Point. Each of us will leave a legacy. Have you ever wondered what your legacy will be? In addition to the legacy that will be entrusted to your family, 
Perhaps you have considered leaving your imprint on something with eternal consequences. Many people don't think beyond this life. They live only for today with no hope beyond the grave. But for the believer, we not only have an eternal perspective on life today, we want to leave behind a testimony of our faith so that others may come to know Christ as well. Long after you and I finish our time on this earth, Turning Point will continue to bring the unchanging Word of God to an ever-changing world. And there is still so much work to do. Will you join me in this very important effort? What will your legacy be?